1: Now, here's your host, Radical Russ
3: Melville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, October 6th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Hope you're having a great day. I am back in the studio here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, and let me underscore, boldface, and italicize, legal! Where I'm at right here, I don't need to get a permission slip from some doctor for my arrest anxiety syndrome. Just being 21 years old means I'm legal. It means there's no more drug-sniffing dogs here because it's legal. It means that cops can't claim they smell pot and start harassing me because it's legal. The reason I emphasize legal, of course, is that yesterday I was in Sacramento for the great Prop 64 debate which is really just an opportunity for the stoners against legalization to have their day in the sun and to pretty much just heckle and hate on me. So it was a lot of fun. And my apologies that it did not appear here on CannabisRadio.com live or in replay. I literally had the most foobar snafooed event that I've ever had in my uh, activism career. Everything, like every step of the way— Involved in this event, except for the lift rides, the lift rides were great. Everything had something that went wrong with it. (laughs) My plane was late, my hotel was overbooked, I forgot to print my notes, I couldn't get the live streaming to work, the sound man uh, turned the levels up too high on my recording and ruined uh, the sound. (laughs) Just like Everything that could go wrong went wrong, so I apologize. I really, really tried to get that debate on live for you. Uh, I'm seeking out recordings of the debate. Apparently it was recorded, videoed uh, by the organizers, budtracker.com. As soon as I have that... I'll bring that to you, let you hear it, post it on my SoundCloud. Uh, but today, I'm going to go on an extended radical rant to tell you about the fear and loathing in Sacramento, the incredible paranoia and delusion being demonstrated by cannabis consumers who oppose ending their own criminality. So we'll talk about that in depth, and I'll bring to you the facts, science, reason, and logic that they wouldn't listen to yesterday. In our extended Radical Rant. Also on the show today, we'll have time to get into some drug war data mining. Uh, there's a new survey that's out. They asked a bunch of doctors uh, about various uh, uh, health issues that you might tell them about. And of those issues, how concerned would they be? One of those issues was your smoking of marijuana. And we'll tell you just how worried doctors are about that in drug war data mining. Also on the show, we'll get behind the headlines where in Massachusetts, they're still uh, waiting to pass question four to legalize marijuana. But in the meantime, the cops have uh, raided and uh, taken down the drug kingpin of an 81-year-old woman who was growing a single cannabis plant. Yeah, we'll tell you the details on that uh, right after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, the U.S. drug czar has admitted something we've known for a long time about the federal government and medical marijuana. We've got the first legal sales just about to happen in the state of Alaska. We'll give you the latest updates there. We've got new sales figures for Illinois' medical marijuana program that set a new high-water mark. We got the governor of Ohio impaneling a new medical marijuana advisory board and one of his selections is pretty damn shocking. And the NFL and its players have made a change to their drug testing regimen. But no, it's not to allow the the players to use medical cannabis. We'll tell you what they're after when we come back. Plus, stay tuned for hour two Toker Talk Radio. We'll take your calls live at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. I'm Radical Russ, live in legal potland, Oregon. We'll be back with the news right after this.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Earn your PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com.
0: Don't be late. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sandsal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SandsalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally.
4: Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. Uh,
0: St. Peter auditioning
2: to be the Microsoft Weed Software uh, spokesman. Hey, this is St.
4: Peter for Microsoft. They track weed. Does that mean they're gonna like track the weed? Is that what this is about, Jesus? I'm not gonna be tracked, Jesus. I'm not gonna have my fucking weed tracked. And I'm not gonna have fucking Microsoft track me back to my fucking house through my weed to the where they fucking spied on people with that goddamn Xbox camera. Like this. Fuck Microsoft. Fuck this bullshit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
0: Each year on my birthday, every American gets a cupcake.
3: Okay. Maybe you're high, too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com.
1: It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at cannabisradio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News.
3: This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, October 6, 2016. U.S. drug czar Michael Botticelli admitted that the federal government has been impeding research on the medicinal qualities of cannabis. In an interview with Politico, Botticelli said, quote, I do think it's a somewhat fair criticism that the government hasn't fully supported research to really investigate what's the potential therapeutic value. And I think the administration, the DEA and others have done a number of things to continue to promote good scientific research and diminish some of the barriers that we've heard from the research community end quote. Botticelli also added that, quote, the previous policy and practice of arresting and incarcerating people doesn't work, end quote, noting that the, quote, policy of the past had a disproportionate impact of people on people of color, end quote. Yet recently, the government once again rejected the rescheduling of cannabis from Schedule 1, maintaining the greatest impediment to research and guaranteeing more arrests and incarceration of people of color will happen in the forthcoming years. Alaska is nearing its first legal sales of marijuana nearly two years after voters approved the recreational use of pot by adults. Retail stores are being permitted by the state marijuana control board, and just a few hurdles remain until commercial sales begin. The biggest obstacle is waiting for labs to test the raw product. Two labs have been licensed by the state, both in Anchorage. One of those, can test should be open by mid to late October, said co-owner Mark Malagotti. The facility is awaiting final inspection from the municipality and state and final approval from an accrediting lab. The first store to complete all its paperwork and is ready to open is The Remedy Shop in the southeast Alaska tourist town of Skagway. Illinois medical marijuana sales reached more than $3.8 million last month at licensed dispensaries throughout the state. The state released new monthly figures for the sales on Wednesday. September's sales figures bring the total retail sales in Illinois to $23.5 million since purchasing began in November last year, topping the $20 million mark for the first time. The program now includes 11,100 patients with state approval to buy marijuana legally. 85 of those patients are children and teenagers. The number of dispensaries continues to grow, too, with 44 now licensed to sell medical marijuana. Meanwhile, seven lawsuits have been filed by Illinois patients who want their medical conditions added to the list of qualifying conditions and are working their way through the courts. The cases could expand the number of patients eligible for the program. Ohio Governor John Kasich has made his first appointments to the state's Medical Marijuana Advisory Board, and they include one member from a group that is referred to medical marijuana as, quote, highly toxic, impure, and harmful, end quote. Tony Coder is the head of the Ohio affiliate of Kevin Sabet's Project SAM, the nation's leading anti-marijuana reform group, that believes, quote, smoked marijuana is not medicine, end quote. He is also a board member of the Drug-Free Action Alliance, a group that believes 1970s tokers were smoking pot with, quote, less than 1% THC, end quote, and that marijuana users, quote, often die from a safety incident related to impairment, end quote, and that an ounce of marijuana, quote, yields approximately 84 joints, end quote, that would provide two weeks of, quote, continual high per ounce, end quote, based on their estimates that marijuana potency is, quote, Ten times stronger than the marijuana from the 1970s, end quote, and that their one third gram joints provide, quote, four hours of intoxication, end quote. The National Football League and its players union have agreed to modify their drug testing regimen to include synthetic cannabinoids and certain growth hormone enhancers. The move Wednesday comes as many players are calling for the NFL to accept the use of medical marijuana by players to combat head trauma and painkiller addiction only to be told that the drug testing agreement between the league and the players is locked in and can't be renegotiated until it expires in 2021. The NFL also maintains that its doctors have not seen enough evidence to conclude that marijuana is as safe for the players to use as the toxic, addictive opioid painkillers they regularly dole out to players who crash into each other with the force of a speeding truck. Apparently, the NFL can add dangerous drugs immediately, but cannot remove medicines until 2021. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, October 6, 2016. I'm Russ Bellville.
4: Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Find out why you should trust your website
3: with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at Development.com.
0: What can Arizona learn from Colorado? We can tightly regulate and tax the sale of marijuana. According to the Colorado state government, marijuana use among high school students has not increased since legalization. At the same time, Colorado is generating millions in new tax dollars for public schools. Here in Arizona, we finally have a choice. We can vote yes on Prop 205 and provide $55 million to our public schools every year. Let's vote yes on Prop 205.
1: The Russ Belleville Show where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak.
3: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The world of
1: cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus.
3: Today we take a look at a story that appeared in the New Hampshire Daily Gazette, and it, it concerns a story out of Massachusetts. Uh, that involves an 81-year-old grandma living in South Amherst and her single solitary cannabis plant. Uh, The woman's name is Margaret Holcomb, and she says she's got arthritis, glaucoma, and insomnia, and she was growing her single solitary cannabis plant to give her some medicine. It was in a raspberry patch. It was separated by a fence from neighbors. It's just about ready to harvest. When on September 21st, A military helicopter descended upon her property. This was a joint raid, pardon the pun, by the Massachusetts National Guard and the state police to cut down one cannabis plant. Uh, Her son, Tim Holcomb, said it was scary as hell. Uh, He was at his mom's house eating lunch with his sister when they saw the military helicopter circling their property and two men crouching and holding up a thermal imager to detect marijuana plants. Now, the grandma wasn't home at the time. Within 10 minutes of the helicopter showing up, the uh, a bunch of cop vehicles show up at the house, including a pickup truck filled with other marijuana plants that had been seized in other locations, plus several state troopers. According to Holcomb, the trooper said asked him if he knew there was a marijuana plant growing on the property, and Holcomb answered, What are you doing here? good answer and then Holcomb says that the state cops told him that if he didn't demand to see a warrant if he would just let the cops onto the property to take the plant away then there'd be no charges filed basically an ultimatum that if you assert your uh, fourth amendment rights that uh, we will retaliate by throwing your 81 year old grandmother in prison for the felony of cultivating a cannabis plant for medicinal purposes in a state that has decriminalized the possession of an ounce, and a state that has a medical marijuana program, and a state that is likely to vote on legalization in November. Let us in, or we press charges. Uh, Holcomb says the officer said, "quote We just want the illegal contraband." End quote. Eighty-one year old grandma, glaucoma, arthritis, insomnia. And they've got to get that contraband. It's uh, obviously a huge drug kingpin at work there, uh, ready to uh, poison the children of Massachusetts with her illicit devil's lettuce, right? This is just another example of these drug war cops that recognize the handwriting on the wall, that understand there is an end coming to their easy overtime to their taxpayer-funded, to their federal grant-funded harvesting of cannabis plants for profit. That's what it's really about. These cops get overtime when they go out there. They get uh, all sorts of benefits going out there. They get all sorts of grants uh, for seizing cannabis plants. Uh, This is uh, just a year after uh, one of the medical marijuana proponents was uh, uh, prosecuted by a National Guard helicopter that observed plants in the backyard. And this is happening all around the state. what What's going on here is that these authorities have budgets, and the budgets are specifically earmarked for eradication programs. And it's one of those situations that happens in state government where if you don't spend all your money, uh, you don't uh, get to have that money. So they just want to spend the money and get as much of the overtime as they can for as long as they can still do it, as long as they can still take advantage of prohibition for a profit, they're going to do it. Now, uh, the lawyer representing the grandma says, quote, is this the way we want our taxpayer money spent to hassle an 81 year old and law abiding patients? And uh, the police chief says uh, the police chief in the city says he's unaware that the state cops and the National Guard were going after this grandma Uh, (laughs) and then not pressing any charges. If the state has a problem With uh, the cannabis plant, if it's so terrible that we need to spend taxpayer money to fund the gas that propels a helicopter, which, by the way, a helicopter is the most inefficient form of transportation mankind has ever devised energy-wise, right, consumption-wise, we can afford that. If we're going to put all those resources, if it's so much of a crime that we got to threaten these people, then why are no charges being pressed if it's so threatening? Not that I'm asking for them to press charges here, but it's just obvious to me that they're doing this for their own personal profit and without regard to the feelings of the people of Massachusetts who clearly would not want this 81-year-old grandmother to be locked up for the rest of her natural life as some sort of drug felon when she clearly was trying to use this for medical purposes. But I think uh, they're going to find this backfires on them. Uh, This is probably the worst sort of public relations the cops could have engaged in as we're approaching a legalization vote in Massachusetts. I know a lot of readers out there in Massachusetts probably going, oh, this is ridiculous. Let's just legalize it already. So uh, good work, Massachusetts state cops. Thanks for making our case for us. We're back with some data mining. Does your doctor care about your pot smoking? Not
0: much. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in
2: CannabisRadio.com.
3: Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download.
2: Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Mention the Stereo Jesus Show podcast on cannabisradio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well, but words. Or my shit. The
4: Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches.
1: This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis business professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC's special guest speaker and Canadian native, Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. Today in the Data Minds, we pull up a study that was published recently in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It was a survey that they issued to a, a bunch of doctors, and 233 of them, primary care doctors. Uh, and they offered nine hypothetical patient behaviors to these doctors and asked them on a scale of one to ten, if your patient came in here and asked you about this particular issue, How concerned would you be? How much would that bother you as as a physician? Now, they asked him about things like obesity, whether you have firearms in the house, your alcohol use, not wearing a helmet on a motorcycle or a bike, having sex with hookers, smoking, depression, abortions, and marijuana use. Asked him about those nine different things and wanted to find out how bad of a problem, how serious of a problem do doctors Think this is. Now, the point wasn't to figure out which of these were the most uh, worrisome or the least worrisome per se. It was really more to try to figure out whether a doctor's political leanings, whether they were Republican or Democrat, whether that made a difference in how doctors are treating their patients. And we'll come back to that. There's some interesting uh, findings there as well. But the one that's most interesting for us is in the ratings of these nine health behaviors I listed for you. Marijuana use was the least worrisome of these problems. In fact, it was tied with whether or not you had a previous abortion as the lowest worrisome items in the list. On a scale of one to 10, the average from these 233 doctors was a 5.7. 5.7 in worry, kind of a "meh, whatever <laughs> on your marijuana use. By comparison's sake, the rest of the the beha- rest of the seven behaviors other than abortions and marijuana use, all scored almost a 7.5 or higher in their average. Whether or not there were firearms in the house was a 7.4, leading all the way to the tie for the most worrisome things to your doctor is if you're where, if you're uh, riding a bike or a motorcycle without a helmet or having sex with hookers, 8.4, either one. And in fact, when it comes to either one of those things, you should... Definitely wear protection. Uh, I couldn't help it. Sorry. Uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, the concern here for the doctors is far more concerned about tobacco use, 8.2, alcohol use, 7.8, and obesity, 7.8, than marijuana use at 5.7. Tobacco and alcohol, of course, being legal drugs and obesity being the result of the other legal drugs of sugar and fat and carbs. So your Big Mac, your cigarette and your Coors beer are far more concerned to your doctor than the joint you're smoking or whether or not you've had an abortion for that matter. Now, the other part of this study where they sussed out what the the political leanings were, were pretty interesting as well. What they found here is that the marijuana use, while it was still the lowest concern for the doctor's, was a greater concern for the Republican doctors than the Democratic doctors. According to uh, the study, quote, Republican physicians are more likely to discuss health risks of marijuana with their patients, urge the patient to cut down, and discuss legal risks, end quote. Unsurprisingly, the Republican doctors were also more concerned about your previous abortions than the Democratic doctors were. And on the flip side, the Democratic doctors... We're far more concerned about whether or not you had firearms in the house than the Republican doctors. So they did find on some of these uh, issues that the political ideology of the doctor made a difference in their evaluation of the medical seriousness of your condition. And I think we could all agree we don't want our doctor's politics to influence their view of science. So I don't know how we fix that or what sort of education is necessary to adjust for this bias, but it is definitely a bias. The, uh, the researchers are the, the doctors who were concerned when they, when they do have a concern, it wasn't about marijuana use per se. It was about heavy marijuana use, whether or not you're using daily, multiple times a day, and so forth. So it's good news coming out of this study, the uh, National Academy of Sciences. This is out there on their journal right now. And uh, the study doesn't uh, look into whether or not these doctors are located in medical marijuana states or not. Uh, it'd be nice to have some data on the relative educational levels of the doctors in the medical states compared to the non-medical states to see who of, among those are more concerned about your marijuana use it's also something that needs to be addressed is the fact that so many of these doctors don't even have an understanding of our endocannabinoid system. The, the estimates I've heard have been 14%, just about one out of seven medical schools have any sort of formal instruction on the endocannabinoid system. One out of seven. Can you imagine your mechanic going to your mechanic if one out of seven of them were the only ones who had been told about the transmission system. I mean, the endocannabinoid system is a incredibly important part of the operation of our human body to not have formal education on that is shocking. So we need to continue legalizing medical marijuana, legalizing recreational marijuana to remove the stigma and the impediments that prevent our physicians, the people who are supposed to take care of our health from utilizing not only the medical cannabis that can help prevent disease and disability and help deal with those problems, but also to recognize that the recreational use, the occasional responsible recreational use by adults, is not only of little harm, but of great benefit. When we talk about reducing stress, when we talk about reducing anxiety and insomnia. Soon enough, they will know. Soon enough, we will have this kind of education. And in a couple generations, we'll look back at this and laugh at the dark ages of medical science that could not recognize the most beneficial plant to mankind. All right. We'll be right back with a super rant after this. This
1: is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com.
2: The next generation of
1: vaporizers has arrived. Voober vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed
2: customer service and expert craftsmanship, Uber vaporizers use cutting edge technology, providing a power packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The boober way. Our daughter Rebecca
0: could have a seizure at any given time that could take her life. When you have 200 seizures a day, she gets so scared. I've learned a lot about the benefits of medical marijuana in the
2: treatment of intractable epilepsy in children. We feel her saying to us, Mom, Dad, help m- me. When is this going to stop? Why don't you, my parents who love me, do something, and we can't.
0: Please help us help our daughter.
2: Our daughter, Rebecca, needs all options for medical marijuana, so please vote yes on Amendment 2. You're not
1: high. You're listening to The Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some,
3: I assume, are good people.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
2: I experimented with marijuana at a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant.
3: Fear and Loathing in Sacramento. Now, in my rants, I am usually reticent to invite any comparison to Dr. Hunter S. Thompson, Not just as a huge fan with the sense not to compare myself to such a giant, but also as a recreational drug user with nowhere near Dr. Thompson's Dionysian appetite, tolerance and selection of entertaining recreational substances. So I apologize for the title. (laughs) Apologies to Dr. Thompson, but there were no two better words to describe what I just experienced at the California State Capitol. I was there yesterday for an event billed as a debate over the merits of California's Prop 64, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Unlike my usual debate appearances against Kevin Sabet, the Idaho drug czar, and other prohibitionists, this time I'd be facing off against fellow cannabis consumers who oppose this legalization initiative. You know, I call them stoners against legalization, and they don't take too kindly to that moniker. Now, joining me on the Yes on 64 side were two other panelists. One was Dale Schaefer. He's an attorney and a medical marijuana patient who was busted with his then-wife, Molly, a breast cancer survivor, in the town of Cool, California. You can read about it in a book called Cool Madness. The feds counted up all the state-legal, locally-approved, 15-plant medical cannabis gardens they'd been harvesting for cancer patients, added them all up over a three-year period, the statute of limitations for how long they could press these kind of charges, and since the combined total of three years' worth of grows totaled more than 100 plants, Dale and Molly each served five-year mandatory minimum sentences in federal prison. Also on our side was Sister Kate, dressed in her full powder blue and white nuns habit. She's part of a non-denominational order that helps patients with medical marijuana in California. I had agreed to appear at the debate because attorney Letitia Pepper was going to be leading the No on 64 side. Letitia is one of the loudest voices stirring up the fear of Prop 64. She's composed long, convoluted legal theories that she says prove Prop 64 is a Trojan horse designed to kill Prop 215, the California medical marijuana law. She's been a presence at various Prop 64 functions, handing out her flyers that warn of medical marijuana's demise for the benefit of nefarious corporate agendas. She's a well-known gadfly among my California reform colleagues whose failure to observe rules of decorum at times requires the intervention of law enforcement, who she then sues for interfering with her First Amendment right to be a boisterous, disruptive pain in the ass. Now, I've been unraveling and debunking Letitia's scaremongering and legal fantasies ever since she used the same tactics against Prop 19 back in 2010. I spent all last weekend digesting her online screeds and meticulously researching the California health and safety codes and Prop 64's language to disprove her fear-mongering. I couldn't wait to debunk her live on stage for the benefit of the voters who might be tricked by her scary predictions and influenced by her law degree. Well, it was not to be. As I arrived at the Capitol, I found Letitia speaking with the organizer of the event, Shelby Lucero from BudTracker.com. And the following quotes for the rest of this rant are paraphrased. They're as close as I can remember them, uh, but they pretty much sum up the gist of what was said. Letitia was informing Shelby that she would not be appearing on the panel today because, quote, you didn't respond to my email concerning my problems with how you have set up the agenda. End quote. Shelby calmly and professionally accepted Letitia's last second cancellation, which is the second straight debate I've shown up to where the opponent is too chicken to face me and cancels at the last moment. Shelby even allowed Letitia to then set up a table to the right of the dais, replete with her anti-Prop 64 flyers, stickers, and posters. So... Our opponents for the No on 64 uh, panel consisted of Kevin Saunders, a mayoral candidate, longtime medical marijuana activist, and two other gentlemen, uh, one named Sean Kiernan, who represents a group that gives free medical marijuana to veterans. That group, by the way, also supplied about half the audience that was supporting the No on 64 side. The event was sparsely attended, however, maybe about 30 people max. And the balance of those 30 were probably... Two to one for the no side. Well, the debate began and immediately the fear kicked in. Their primary fear is that passing Prop 64 is a trick to end Prop 215. Fear that legalization means the end of medical marijuana. Fear that marijuana will cost $500 an ounce after legalization. Fear that their group won't be able to give free weed to vets after legalization. Fear that new crimes are created and minors are being criminalized by legalization. Fear that there will be more marijuana arrests following legalization. Fear that legalization gives the legislature power to repeal the rights granted not just by medical marijuana, but by the legalization itself. Fear that all of Prop 64 is an elaborate ruse by the elite 1% to seize the cannabis market. All of these fears and more were articulated by the Noon 64 side. All they were missing was any citation of relevant passages of Prop 64 or comparisons to four other legal states that puts these predictions of fear anywhere near the reality most of us inhabit. Now, Dale and I are quite familiar with Prop 64 and the current California marijuana laws. We responded to all their fears with calm recitation of the relevant sections of the act. No, Prop 215 does not end with Prop 64. In fact, the act contains many sections that either directly state that Prop 64's regulations don't apply to medical marijuana or sections that improve Prop 215 by adding additional protections and rights. No, the regulation of medical marijuana you're lamenting as the end was achieved through the MCRSA, the new medical marijuana regulations passed by the state last year, not by Prop 64. No, marijuana is not going to cost $500 an ounce after legalization. The data from all the states that have legalized so far have shown a price crash following legalization. Buds that go for $15 to $18 a gram in California's medical dispensaries pre-tax sell for an average between $7 to $10 with tax in Colorado, Washington, and Oregon's recreational pot shops. No, Prop 64 does allow nonprofits to give away weed just so long as the taxes have been paid on it. No, the new crimes that you're citing as crimes are crimes that exist now that Prop 64 either maintains or reduces the penalties for including reducing the penalties for all marijuana violations by minors from crimes to infractions with no possibility of jail. No, there is no logical way you can reduce felonies to misdemeanors, misdemeanors to infractions, and infractions to legal acts, and then end up with more arrests. Legalization takes from police their ability to claim the smell of pot and begin investigating you. Legalization retires the pot-sniffing canine officers. In Colorado, 80% of the charges for all marijuana crimes, not just the one ounce and six plant crimes made legal, all marijuana crimes, 80% of the charges disappeared following legalization. In Washington, it was a 63% decline in arrests, presumably less decline than Colorado because Washington bans personal cannabis cultivation. No, Prop 64 grants amendment authority by majority vote only to the Section 5 medical marijuana regs and the Section 6 recreational marijuana regs, but not medical or recreational rights and not medical or recreational limits. And they may amend the uh, Prop 64 to reduce but not increase penalties or to increase possession and cultivation limits because... That's essentially reducing a penalty on a greater amount. Those are the only things the legislature can change with a 50% majority. A two-thirds majority is required for any other amendment to Prop 64, and whatever they amend has to comport with the Section 3 purpose and intent. So this fantasy that Prop 64 would pass, give us possession and grow rights, only to be repealed by a two-thirds vote of the legislature is incredibly unlikely since the purpose of an an intent of Prop 64 is to, quote, permit adults 21 years and older to use, possess, purchase, and grow non-medical marijuana, end quote. Now, they might try. I, I suppose it's possible the legislature might try to repeal the grow rights and the possession rights that were just passed in an initiative by a majority of the people but they'd be subject to an immediate lawsuit for violating the purpose and intents. And we would likely win that lawsuit. And no, the elite 1% can't even get into the California market with their mega grows until 2021. The priority in licensing in Prop 64 goes to the existing medical marijuana operators, giving them five whole years to establish their dominance in the marketplace. well, (coughs) all this research and recitation by Dale and I about the statistics from the legal states and the text of Prop 64, we might as well have been Charlie Brown's teacher. (coughs) (coughs) To the no on 64 side. God, I know how Hillary Clinton feels now because it was like debating Donald Trump. We could bring all the facts, science, reason, and logic we wanted. All they would do is just insult, deny, deflect, and fear monger the loathing part kicked in almost every time I would respond to one of their fears with reason backed by evidence. Audience members, usually the veterans would shout over me while I was talking, becoming belligerent enough that law enforcement had to calm them down. The two non Saunders panelists directly insulted me from the stage. One called me a carpetbagger. The other one made some, some slam about my mother and they also impugned my integrity, saying, quote, one of them said, quote, he's paid by MPP to travel the country to confuse people, and quote. Another one of them said, quote, he works for Normal, who pays him to spread lies, end quote. And to his credit, Kevin Saunders chided those other two No on 64 panelists for that. Thank you, Kevin. And for the record, haters, <laughs> my last paycheck from Normal was in mid-2012, And I've never received a dime from any other reform organization or any legalization campaign. Folks, you don't have to pay me to fight for my own freedom. Now, the fact that I became the focal point for their collective hatred wasn't really surprising. I mean, the other targets were a five-year drug war POW and a nun. But even then, there was one point during Sister Kate's turn when one of the vets started screaming about how the Vatican is an autonomous city-state and something about crime and corruption, forcing the exasperated nun to exclaim, we're not even Catholic. To cap off this absurdity, there was one question that Saunders decided Letitia Pepper ought to answer and yielded his time to her. Astonishingly, the moderators allowed the woman who canceled at the last moment to jump up on the dais and take the mic. And of course, they were rewarded by her beginning her statement with, quote, the reason I'm not on the panel here today is because the organizers lied to me about the format, end quote, followed by whatever nonsensical paranoid rambling that she uttered that I've since forgotten. Well, eventually, one of the no on 64 panelists declared that I was upset because I was losing this debate to the squeals of delight from the 20-odd stoners against legalization in the audience. And in a, in a sense, I was, because this wasn't a debate so much as an episode of the Jerry Springer show. But for any on-the-fence voter with a modicum of sense, the incoherent rage and paranoid fear displayed by the No on 64 side will probably move more votes into the yes column. Just like the no on I-502 people back in 2012 convinced many Washingtonians that if those people think it's awful, well, there must be something good about it. And with Prop 64 currently standing at 60% in recent polls, hell, you can judge my debate performance any way you like. And just like the no on I-502 people, be ready, because I'll be back in three years after Prop 64 passes, to present all the data that confirm the sky will fall predictions as the paranoid delusions they are. Legalization is not going to harm medical marijuana. It can only improve the lives of patients and non-patients alike by ending the contraband nature of cannabis, by ending the criminality of its users, by guaranteeing for all adults the bare minimum of a six-plant indoor garden in their home that no locality can ban. The, the prop These no-on-64 people are convinced that it's an either-or choice. We can either have Prop 215 or we can have Prop 64, but if we pass Prop 64, Prop 215 goes away, and it doesn't matter how many times you show them the sections in Prop 64 that protect Prop 215, It doesn't matter how much data you show them from the other states that have legalized marijuana that have medical programs that show far cheaper prices once you legalize. They they complain that there's going to be a 15% excise tax and a $9.25 flower tax per ounce that's going to raise the price of their marijuana. I was reading one story in the LA Times today. Lynette Davies, who was there at the debate, was complaining that uh, Prop 64 and all its taxes and regulations and paperwork and inspections—why wow, that's going to raise the price of marijuana way beyond what her patients can afford. As she's selling her patient a thirty-three dollar eighth, <laughs> thirty-three dollar eighth. You know, last time I paid over thirty bucks for an eighth here in the Pacific Northwest. Long time. We're finding them around here for twenty bucks, with thirty-seven percent taxes and state and local sales taxes in Washington State. We are finding the same sort of prices here in Oregon. In Colorado, they're already getting, during the 420 week, they had grams below five bucks. And you want to complain about the high prices for your patients that you have so much compassion for that you're charging them 33 bucks an eighth, that you're charging 15 bucks a gram in some cases, 18 in some cases. Cry me a river. You want to have compassion for patients? Stop forcing them to have to go to some dock in the box every year to get the permission slip to use the plant they should be allowed to use anyway. If you really have compassion for patients, you open up the market for as much cultivation of cannabis as possible. If you really have compassion for patients... You want to see it the market flooded with so much marijuana that the price crashes to such an extent that even with the added fifteen percent tax, even with the added nine twenty five an ounce, even with the added cost of regulations and inspections, the price of medicine for patients is lower than what you're selling it to them for now. I've just about had it with these Prop 215 people who, who think that it's the perfect, most God's own initiative. That nothing ever needs to change. I I literally have some of them that were saying that we don't need to do anything about Prop 215. We don't need to change anything because anybody can go get a wreck. Anybody can just go get a wreck and be protected. Because of course all use is medical, right? Well, look, all you're doing there is just admitting that what you have under Prop 215 is the sham and fraud you complained that we said it was. If you're admitting That we don't need legalization because anyone can lie to a doctor and get a recommendation. You are admitting to all those legislators in all the other states that don't have medical marijuana that their complaints about medical marijuana are valid. But you want to hate me for it. I get it. You want to hate me for it. No, sorry. That's not going to wash anymore. Now that legalization has taken root in this country and the support for it only begins to increase or is only continuing to increase in this country, the time for medical marijuana on the stage of reform is over or beginning to conclude, let's say, because there's still a few states that could use it. But when we're talking California, West Coast, we're talking about places that have had medical marijuana for over a decade or longer. It's time to start winding that down and thinking about all the rest of the cannabis consumers who have maintained criminal status for these past 20 years while the few people who are sick or willing to lie to doctors have been protected from arrest and incarceration. It is time to end the artificial distinction that says some people are sick enough to protect and the rest of them are healthy enough to imprison. The whole point of medical marijuana in the first place was in opposition to marijuana prohibition. The whole point of medical marijuana was that all cannabis consumers were criminals, all cannabis consumers were subject to arrest, all cannabis consumers were subject to imprisonment. So let's take a politically expedient route to protect a few of them, the ones that are the sickest, the ones for whom we can pull the heartstrings of the voters and force them into that emotional dissonance of Well, what do we hate worse, potheads or cancer patients suffering? That is coming to an end because if we're not arresting and incarcerating anyone anymore, why do we need an exception for the people who are sick? That's going to take a while to get to that point where it's perfect, absolutely. And so long as we're still taking these baby steps of one ounce and six plants and all sorts of limitations then yes, we need to have a medical designation so those people can possess more. So those people won't have to pay taxes in some states. Well, even in California, they're not going to have to pay the sales and use taxes at least. So yes, there's going to be this transitory step where we still have to recognize medical use and increase the limits for it. But again, that only exists in opposition to the fact that marijuana is prohibited somewhere. We got to limit... Patients in the uh, uh, Pacific Northwest and, and the West Coast, we got to limit them to a certain number of plants because people in Kansas, people in Chicago, people all across the Midwest will pay 350 to 500 bucks an ounce for the stuff. We have to limit plant counts for patients because entrepreneurs working on the unregulated market can triple their investment by shipping weed east. But once we get marijuana legalized nationally, Once there is a national market for cannabis, once nobody in any state can be arrested and prosecuted for its possession and cultivation, then there's no need for medical marijuana anymore. I think what has happened is over the years, medical marijuana has evolved into this thing where some Californians just think it's legal. They just think it's they got theirs. They're not getting busted. They got a place to shop for weed. What's the problem? Well, the problem is narcissism. The problem is selfishness. The problem is such a narrow worldview as to think you and your pot use is the only thing that matters. The problem is not recognizing that patients in, oh, I don't know, say Nebraska, patients in uh, Iowa are never going to get the chance to access whole plant cannabis for medical use until California legalizes. It's it's a worldview that doesn't recognize that legalization is a process that has to unfold not just in your state, but throughout the entire United States and the rest of the world in a series of steps. One step building on the success of the previous steps. And you people... Want to give Kevin Sabet, the prohibitionists, and all the law enforcement cops, DAs, and prison guards that oppose Prop 64 their second defeat of legalization in California in a six-year span? Do you know how much that will impact the rollout, the development of marijuana reform throughout the world? No, obviously you do not recognize what a huge vote this is coming up in the state of California. And this paranoid fear, and it's especially resplendent in Letitia Pepper's bat shittery. The the manipulations and the twisting of and the assumptions of what could happen after legalization are just profoundly ignorant of reality and of how politics work. The, the, every everything you read in Letitia's stuff is well, if they. If they do this, then they're going to do this. And if they do that, then they're going to do that with no supporting evidence to show why they would do that, why they would contradict the will of the voters who just by a majority legalized marijuana, why they would want to destroy medical marijuana that's supported by more than 80% of the voters in California, why they would want to commit electoral suicide by attacking highly popular measures is insane. insane. I mean, it's pretty sad when the talking points that you're getting from the stoners against legalization are copied and pasted from Kevin Sabet's own propaganda. Dragonfly De Luz on one of her blogs actually has copied and pasted one of the, the, the Project Sam lines about, oh, only 0.1% of state inmates are actually in jail for possession of marijuana. Most people don't really go to jail for marijuana. The same damn talking point. Kevin Saunders tried to address this, the whole stoners against legalization thing, trying to set himself apart by saying, My name is Kevin Saunders, not Kevin Sabet. Well, Mr. Saunders, I agree with you. You are Kevin Saunders, you are not Kevin Sabet. It just so happens both of you are voting against legalization this year. It just so happens both of you are supporting an agenda this year. That guarantees more Californians next year will get tickets, arrested, and imprisoned over their use or cultivation of cannabis. Sorry if I offend you. Sorry if you don't like me. Sorry if you want to heckle me. But I'm going to give you as much respect and admiration as I give Sabet, as I give the cops, as I give the drug czar when they tell me I'm a criminal for using cannabis and must remain one for at least two more years. All right, that's all the time you got for hour one, but stay tuned for hour two. We'll take your calls at uh, 650-LEGAL-MJ. Also, I will give you my detailed rebuttals to Letitia Pepper's bat shittery that, of course, nobody would listen to at the debate. (laughs) For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belville Show. The Russ Belville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at radicalrust.com. You take a
2: seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you dry it, dry it, it, roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years.
1: And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja Graphics, the Sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Bellville.
3: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio, where you are the voice of the marijuana nation. Our phone lines are open at 650 Legal MJ, 650 534 2565. And uh, we're talking today about Prop 64, the California Adult Use of Marijuana Act that I uh, debated, <laughs> if you can call it that, in uh, in California this uh, last, uh, well, yesterday. I was there yesterday in Sacramento uh, on this debate, and it was uh, remarkable. It was just uh, fascinating as hell, just fascinating. And, and it's funny because... I had some people in my Facebook and my Twitter feeds coming back to me saying, oh, my God, how can you take it? Oh, my God, is what a terrible, what a shit show. Oh, Jesus, Russ, how can you handle it, right? Folks, I love this. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I I really do. I love the haters. I love the haters. Because every time I get someone that's calling me a name, Rectal Russ, <laughs> you know, that kind of shit, that's calling me a shill or a sellout, every time they do that. It shows me that subconsciously, they know I'm kicking their ass. Subconsciously, know they, they can't out-research me. They can't out-debate me. They know my public speaking skills are superior, and they know that I'm convincing more people than they are. If you can't come to the debate with fact, science, reason, and logic on your side, if you can't back up your assertions with relevant citations of text... And all you're left with is insults, denials, and more insults, then I'm winning, <laughs> and you're losing, and most observers will recognize that. It was great. Uh, the, Sean Kiernan from the Weed for Warriors project at one point said, he uh, uh, was complaining about the fact that I'm not even from California, and that might—his his line, and it's pretty close to an exact quote. Uh, uh, I saw your tweet about the debate got one like, so I guess your mother still loves you end quote, to the delightful howls of the, you know, no on 64 stoners against legalization out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, my tweet got one like. Of course, it went out to about 20,000 followers, but yeah, I got one like, I guess, I guess I'm a loser. Uh, it, it was amazing, the, the absolute false reality, the, the bizarre world they live in. I, I regaled the, the economic stats from Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. This showed the average price per gram with tax, 37% in Washington, is about $9.33 a gram. Average gram in Portland, eh, about $9.66 a gram. Average gram in Colorado has dropped from about $8.62 to a, a little over $5. dollars Five sixty mer- no, six bucks 66 $6.67, that's what it was, Six sixty seven. dollars The 5 bucks was around uh, the four twenty dollars specials. Hard, fast data confirmed by Botech analysis, confirmed by GreenWave advisors, verified in the actual price data something that we in the reality-based community called facts. And they just denied it. Literally. They said, oh, well, that doesn't matter because California is a completely different animal. Oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know the laws of supply and demand didn't apply to to California. I I didn't know that... uh, the increase of production and the increase in selection and the increase of of retail outlets and the increase in the number of customers demanding the product would lead to an increase of prices rather than the decrease that has happened in every other state that's similar and has done the same thing. Silly me, I didn't know California was special. (sighs) All right, we're going to dig deeper into this. Specifically debating some of Letitia Pepper's flyers. I've got a couple of her flyers that she handed out there. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just incredible. Stay tuned. We're back right after these messages.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
4: legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. (sighs) Cannabisradio.com
2: Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
3: I'm Radical Russ Bellville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Bellville Show. It's the NPR of P.O.T. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis business analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me.
1: Okay, maybe you're high, too.
3: Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
1: You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, continuing on with our uh, review of the argumento in Sacramento, Letitia Pepper chickened out from uh, being on the debate panel, but she uh, she stood to the side of the debate stage and had all these uh, signs and flyers that she was handing out to people and occasionally heckling uh, our side when we would speak out. And I've got one of these uh, in my hand from Letitia Pepper. And of course, she tells you that uh, who is behind Prop 64, it looks like Monsanto and Big Pharma. (laughs) It's Monsanto and Big Pharma. It's all George Soros. Uh, Here's a question. Uh, Do Sean Parker and George Soros, the billionaires behind the, quote, marijuana legalization efforts, have stockholder interests in Monsanto, Bayer, and Big Pharma? Um... Well, yeah, they're billionaires and they've owned stock in lots of things, usually parts of funds that they're a part of. And those stocks may be a part of that fund. But, uh, yeah, she, she had signs out like one of them said, Ge- George Monsanto Soros, you know, like it's a new dinosaur. George Monsanto Soros uh, behind Prop 64, taking over cannabis for Monsanto. You know, all, all the all the crazy stuff that she spews it is just remarkable to me. It's remarkable to me that George Soros, this billionaire philanthropist who's contributed through the various uh, agencies, he's he's contributed so much money to legalize marijuana in California. It surprises me how evil he has become. It's it's just amazing how he's become this this evil, evil mastermind to take over cannabis from Monsanto and how he must be vilified at every turn for his evil agenda, pushing all this money into marijuana reform. Yet 20 years ago, when he was pushing the money into uh, Dennis Perrone's failing Prop 215 campaign and rescued it from the brink of uh, disaster, the brink of failure. Funny how when George Soros was contributing the hundreds of thousands, the millions of dollars to Prop 215, he was a saint. Oh, he was the greatest guy in the world then. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. How conveniently someone becomes evil. (laughs) Yeah. So that's part of it is all this, all this paranoia. And it's really kind of that paranoid anti-authoritarian fuck the man, fuck the government attitude, fuck the 1%, fuck the corporations, which I don't necessarily disagree with. Right. (laughs) But it it, it borders on, you know, lunacy here. How, how much she thinks there are evil here. Um, Here's a couple other things she says. Uh, She says, why does Prop 64 restrict medicinal use of marijuana? It's designed to make it much more difficult for people to use marijuana as medicine by allowing the legislature and the California Medical Association to interfere between private doctor-patient relationships. Okay, so what she's referring to, first of all, is not something that's in Prop 64. It's in the new medical cannabis regulations that were passed in 2015. And that is a voluntary patient registry yeah that's the that's the California, state of California interfering with the doctor patient relationship by requiring a valid patient registration that's voluntary not mandatory registration like we have in the other 23 medical marijuana states that have mandatory registries you'll still be able to get your doctor's note and that will still protect you from arrest as a medicinal user The only reason you have to voluntarily get the medical card from the state under the MACURSA regulations is if you want that sales tax cut. If you're willing to pay the sales tax, you don't have to register at all. That's the terrible, overbearing, overreaching interference in the doctor-patient relationship that we're worried about. Now, the other thing in there that she's worried about is that the uh, legislature could modify the requirements for getting a medical marijuana card. They could actually require that it be something more than you claiming your arrest anxiety syndrome to get your card. You know, like every other state, has some sort of more than your word on it requirement to get medical marijuana. And for the people that have been lying to the doctor to get their permission slip, once Prop 64 legalizes your use, you don't need to get the permission slip. So the only people who this could affect from getting their medical marijuana recommendation are the people who'd be legal anyway. The people who really have the serious problems, the cancer, the AIDS, glaucoma, cachexia, all that kind of stuff, they're not going to have any problem getting their medical recommendation or card. So that's ridiculous on its face. She also says, because under Prop 215, people have been able to grow and use decriminalized cannabis as marijuana. These people really think Prop 215 decriminalized cannabis. They really think that. No. Prop 215 does not make cannabis legal in any way whatsoever. Cannabis under California Health and Safety Code is still a contraband product. It is still illegal. The evidence of it or its cultivation is still reason for cops to interfere with your day. It's not decriminalized. Now, Schwarzenegger's bill in 2011 did end the threat of arrest for people with less than 100 with less than an ounce. But it's still a crime, still an infraction. It's still a violation of the law. It's not decriminalized. She's also upset because uh, Prop 64 mentions that uh, marijuana is dangerous and addictive. Well, if they make it legal, what difference does it make what they call it? <laughs> I just... That makes no sense. She says, because of that, if Prop 64 passes, parents who give children whole herbal cannabis extracts to treat cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, epilepsy, autism, and other illnesses will be criminals. But How? When there will still be medical marijuana and cards they can get for their children, if they can demonstrate they have serious illnesses like cancer, arthritis, epilepsy, autism, and the other. It's just insane fear-mongering in this thing. It's just crazy. There's another part of this they use to attack Prop 64. This one's quite entertaining, actually. And it's the idea that um, we have to vote against Prop 64 because it won't be giving any money to the schools. There'll be no money for schools in Prop 64. And all that money will go to a special fund. And this is what... uh, Letitia says, I'll read this from her. She says, uh, uh, instead of funding schools with yet another taxpayer-funded bond measure, we could fund them with revenue from legalizing marijuana, but not if Prop 64 passes. The California controller estimates that Prop 64 will generate up to a billion dollars annually in licenses and fees and all things marijuana at every point along the way from seed to sale, but not one penny from legalizing marijuana, a la 64, will go to our state's general fund, to public schools, colleges, or state universities. Instead... All that revenue goes directly into a special trust fund controlled by the next governor's appointees, such as the new director of Marijuana Control, where the money can only be used for the sole purpose of taxing, controlling, and regulating marijuana. Up to a billion dollars every year! Money that could be spent on roads, schools, water projects, and more won't be available on such public projects. Instead, every dime is reserved for the new Bureau of Marijuana Control, not only its vast administration and its own state police force, but also its drug education and rehabilitation arms, Even money from taxes on alcohol and gas uh, is available for other uses. Why not revenue from (laughs) marijuana? Yeah, she says it's a giant slush fund and Gavin Newsom will be using it for uh, graft and corruption. Well, that's entertaining as hell because I've got Prop 64 right in front of me that explains exactly where the money is going from the taxes. Now, it is true. Prop 64 does not send the tax money to the general fund. And the reason why, as my colleague Dale Schaefer pointed out on the panel, is that we've learned through, for example, the lottery. That when you let the money go to the general fund, that's what becomes the slush fund for the legislators. That's when legislators start pushing the money away from where it was intended and start sending it over to these little budgets and projects that they want. It was California is a special animal in the sense that its constitution and its laws mandate certain spending in certain ways the legislature can deal with the general fund. And because of that, the authors of Prop 64 didn't want the money going to the general fund where it could be misused and misappropriated. So in the law, they put together this marijuana general fund. And here's what the marijuana general fund will pay for. First, it's going to pay the costs of administration. So tax collecting, administration, implementation, enforcement of the regulations, paybacks to fish and wildlife, state water resources, and pesticide regulation for the impact of legalization on them. Reasonable costs for the controller and the state auditor if they have to audit anyone. Reasonable costs for the legislative analyst office and sufficient funds to reimburse the cost of applying and enforcing state labor laws. So the very first thing, Revenue from the marijuana fund goes to is to pay the cost of legalization. So legalization pays its own way. Folks, that's not going to be a billion (laughs) dollars. The costs are going to be nowhere near a billion dollars. There's going to be a lot of money left over that. And where will that money go? Well, when we come back from break, I will tell you exactly where the money goes. And guess what? Some of it goes to public schools and some of it goes to fix infrastructure and problems with the uh, communities. We'll tell you exactly how. It's in black and white right there in Prop 64, Letitia. Don't you blaspheme in here. Don't
4: you blaspheme in here.
3: All right. That sound means that it's uh, 420 in the Pacific time zone. Time for me to take a safety briefing. And quick uh, answer for the chat room. Prop 64 protects uh, parental rights for medical consumers only, not for the recreational consumers. Back with more bat shittery after this.
4: Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com
0: Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants... Healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. Not
2: enough money for schools.
0: Since we made marijuana legal, our schools are better and our kids have more opportunities. Crowded courts mean police cannot protect our streets.
2: The great thing is that here in Colorado, law enforcement is able to focus on the number one priority for all of us, which is preventing violent crime. Never enough money.
1: Since the passage of Amendment 64, I've seen an increase in resources for our
3: schools. It's your turn to regulate marijuana.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. To be president of this country, you need tremendous stamina.
1: Okay. Maybe you're high, too.
3: New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
1: There's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on
3: CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're continuing to dissect the tinfoil-ass hattery of Letitia Pepper and the rest of the stoners against legalization who are opposing Prop 64 in California claim made by Letitia Pepper is that the uh, all the marijuana taxes in Prop 64 go to a special fund that won't help schools, won't help communities, and will only be used as a slush fund for the governor and to uh, bolster the cops and the rehabs to prosecute and rehabilitate even more cannabis consumers than they do now. Okay, so we pointed out how, within Prop 64, there's a very detailed section here that uh, explains, it's section... Thirty-four zero one nine that explains exactly where all the tax revenue goes, and that the first expense is to pay off all of the costs, the administrative costs, and that's only going to be a, a million, a few million dollars, dozen maybe, right? To to administer the program, it's it's going to be, it's not going to eat much of the billion dollars estimated that they're going to make. Okay, so after that, after we pay the expenses. Here's the following things that Prop 64's taxes will pay for. First, $10 million for university Prop 64 research for 10 years. Every 10 every every year, $10 million is going to a public university or universities in California from 2018 through 2028 to research and evaluate the implementation and effect of Prop 64. Wait a minute. Universities are going to be receiving some some tax money. California public universities getting marijuana tax money. Gosh, Letitia, that sounds a whole lot like public schools getting some marijuana tax money. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Another $3 million a year for five years is going to the California Highway Patrol to establish and adopt protocols to determine whether a driver is operating a vehicle while impaired. Now, this is seized upon by the... uh, anti-prop 64 people is saying, oh, we're giving the cops money to, to bust us for DUI. That's not what this is doing. This is giving the cops money to embark on scientific study of how we determine someone is impaired by cannabis. Now, those of us who know the science and the pharmacokinetics understand that the results of that scientific scrutiny are going to be that there is no magic bullet, breathalyzer, blood test, saliva test, hair test way of determining whether someone's impaired on marijuana. I welcome that study. Please bring me the study in five years from the California Hybrid Patrol that defines, that definitively says there's no way of measuring whether someone's impaired based on their body fluids. Because that's the result they're going to get after spending $15 million over five years. (laughs) That... This is actually a good thing. This will lead to fewer people being busted because it will prove you can't have a per se standard. It will help all the rest of the states from this point on that are going to try to legalize because they'll be able to point to California and say, hey, this five-year study from the California Highway Patrol proved that you can't have a pot breathalyzer. Now, another set of the money is going $10 million dollars And then it increases by $10 million every year until it reaches $50 million. So the total of this will be $150 million over five years. And this will be dispersed to the Governor's Office of Business and Economic Development for community reinvestment grant programs to local health departments and qualified community-based nonprofit organizations to support job placement, mental health treatment, substance abuse disorder treatment, system navigation services, legal services to address barriers in reentry and linkages to medical care for communities disproportionately affected by past federal and state drug policies. In other words... It's going to help the community. Now, they seize upon this by saying, oh, it's going to the governor's office, and the governor can then just pick his cronies uh, among the nonprofit organizations to enrich. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that's possible, but it also means $150 million going to local health departments, going to job placement, going to mental health treatment. And it's significantly more money than medical marijuana is contributing to those services. And it's infinitely more money than the black market is contributing to those services. Now, after that, we will pay $2 million a year to the University of California, San Diego's Center for Medical Cannabis Research to further the objectives of understanding the efficacy of marijuana as a pharmacological agent. Once again, UCSD is a public school So public schools are once again getting some money. And for those of you who say Prop 64 is out to kill medical marijuana, what would UCSD be studying if medical marijuana were killed? (laughs) If anything, this is once again, like the CHP money, going to give us definitive reports from California University that says marijuana is medicine and here's how. And that's only going to help the future states that try to pass medical. So, we got all those things that are earmarked. Medical marijuana research, community economic grants, impaired driving research, and Prop 64 research. After that, after we've spent all that money, whatever's left gets divided in the following ways. 60% goes to youth drug prevention. This is the Youth Education Prevention and Early Intervention and Treatment Account to educate about and to prevent substance use disorders and prevent harm from substance use. Now, the anti people seize on this by saying, aha, this is where it's going to fund propaganda to tell the young people that marijuana is dangerous and addictive and harmful and terrible. And it look here in Oregon. We've got some of these billboards that are up now, too, that are funded this youth anti drug prevention campaigns. You know what they are? They don't say stuff like marijuana is going to cause man boobs and hurt your chromosomes and it's toxic and addictive and causes cancer. No, they say things like marijuana could hurt my chances of getting work. Marijuana uh uh could could uh, affect my learning in school. Right? They say these they say a few things that are questionable, they're they're shaky, but they're not like the super reefer madness that's out there. And for the voters out there, and this is this is the, one of the major flaws, major flaws in their magical thinking is they think the rest of Californians think like them. <laughs> they, they, they really think that whatever we in the marijuana community would like to see in legalization is something that the majority of voters out there, 84% of them who don't smoke pot would vote for. And it just ain't so. Most of the voters out there like the idea of preventing kids from using marijuana. <laughs> uh, that's, that seemed to them as a good thing. So 60% to the youth drug education programs. And then where did the rest of this go? Where oh, uh, where's <laughs> I got to find the rest of those notes there. Uh, rec notes. Uh, where's all my tax stuff? Oh, here we go. 20% will go to uh, the Environmental Restoration and Protection Account. 20% for environmental cleanup. Go out to the woods there in Humboldt County and clean up all those illegal grows that dripped pesticides and fuel and left garbage and diverted streams and destroyed woodlands and stuff like that. You know, most voters think that's probably a good idea, too. And then finally... The last 20% of the remaining marijuana tax money is to protect public health and safety. Now, here's some of the ways they'll do that. 20% is going to go to state and local government law enforcement account. And that's, again, this is where the anti's go, oh, my God, we're giving money to cops. Obviously, we're giving money to cops, uh, and they'll, they'll bust more of us with fewer laws and no drug dogs. But anyway, part of it will be uh, to California Highway Patrol for training on enforcing DUI laws. So that's that's going to hire some DREs, drug recognition experts, send them some training on how to spot a stone driver. Some of it will go to uh, California Highway Patrol programs and nonprofit orgs for education, prevention, and enforcement of DUI laws. So it's going to fund some billboards that say drive high, get a DUI. Ooh. Uh... It's going to go to the Board of State and Community Corrections, grants to local governments to assist law enforcement and other local programs addressing public health and safety. But none of those local governments that have banned cultivation or retail sale can get it. So the the places that allow sales and cultivation will get some money back for anti-drug programs to convince people not to use marijuana. And then also, um, well, anyway, no, that's it. Those are the three things. So that's where the tax money is going. Now, is it going to fix potholes? No. Is it going to fix roads? No. Is it going to build new elementary schools? No, it's not. But that's the reason to vote against it? I'm sorry. If marijuana tax money doesn't fix potholes, I think uh, cannabis growers should continue to get felonies makes no sense whatsoever. So this is some of what we're dealing with when we talk about Letitia Pepper and these stoners against legalization. I mean, for example, she says that all revenue will go solely to the self-perpetuating bloated bureaucracy of appointed and unelected officials, their staffs, and to fund their pension plans. Now, I just told you where the money's going, right? Did you hear pension plan in there anywhere did you hear a uh, uh, bloating bureaucracy well folks it can't bloat here's why in prop 64 they mention this is section 34019 paragraph a line one reasonable costs incurred by the board for administering and collecting the taxes imposed by this part provided however such costs shall not exceed four percent of the tax revenues received. Now remember we're talking about a billion dollars. Right. A billion dollars. 1% of a billion is 10 million. 4% would then be 40 million. So no more than 40 million dollars. Am I doing the math right? I gotta rethink that in my head. Yeah I think I got that right. No more than 40 million dollars. Could go to bloat the bureaucracy. <laughs> uh, so um, the other part of this too. Is that. uh she says that they would fund their pension plans, which is not possible. Retirement for public employees is handled by CalPERS, the Public Employee Retirement System, which gets its funding through employee contributions set by statute. And employers contribute 12.7% of the payroll that is set by measuring the rate of their investments, how well the investments are performing. It can rise If the investments perform unfavorably, it can decrease if the investments perform favorably. But it's not something where they can just say, hey, give us money from some other place. (laughs) And the the rates are set. (laughs) And it comes from employee contributions, not the marijuana tax fund. It's astonishing sometimes. It's just the level of delusion and paranoia you have to have to think ending your criminality will make your life worse is just mind-boggling.
1: This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com
2: Cannabis use isn't the only
1: thing growing, so are we. Grow with us, CannabisRadio.com.
4: The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com.
3: I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Good to everybody. Radical Russ here in Aspen, Colorado at the Alaska Northwest Cannabis Classic. At the 26th Annual Boston Freedom Rally. At the High Times Cannabis Cup, Northern California. Day one of CannaCon in Seattle, Washington. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT. Weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. Exclusively on CannabisRadio.com.
1: You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: We need to build a wall.
1: Okay. Maybe
3: you're high, too. marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis business professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC's special guest speaker and Canadian native, Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com.
1: Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at all. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
3: All right, welcome back, everyone. We're talking about Prop 64. the don't use the marijuana act in California. And the uh, ramblings of the stoners against legalization, like attorney Letitia Pepper, who see legalization of marijuana as the end of medical marijuana and the demise of the cannabis plant as it is turned over to the corporate clutches of Monsanto. Or something like that. So, uh, to continue on (laughs) this, uh, going down deep into the rabbit hole with these people. There's so much... That is just it's it's remarkable how much there is to debunk. But um, one of the things that uh, she says is that medical, you know, it's going to destroy medical marijuana Uh, on her flyer. She writes that Prop 215 rights can be altered or entirely revoked by the state legislature with a simple majority vote. Sounds terrifying. And the way that she backs this up is by citing Section 10. Which says the legislature may by majority vote amend the provisions of this act contained in sections five and six to implement the substantive provisions of those sections, provided that such amendments are consistent with and further the purposes and intent of this act as stated in section three. So the relevant part of that was majority vote can amend sections five and six. Not the whole act and certainly not Prop 215. Now, what's in five and six? Well, five is the use of marijuana for medical purposes section. Oh my God, they can modify medical marijuana. But you look a little deeper and you'll find that section five only deals with the commercial medical marijuana regulations like recommendation requirements, records confidentiality, fees, child custody rights, and federal rescheduling. It can't take away your medical right to cultivate, your medical right to possess your medical dispensary, because that's all that's in section five is the stuff that has to do with the fees and the business stuff. Section six is the recreational marijuana market regulations. So they can't take away your right to grow or to possess because that's not in section six. It's in section four. So the majority could modify the minutiae of the regulations. And even then they could only do it to further the purposes and intent of the act. Now, what that means is if they try to pull some shenanigans, right, like, you know, one of the shenanigans, they'll say, yeah, OK, so they'll, they'll allow licenses and then they'll make the licenses cost $20 million each and then nobody will be able to get them. You know, that kind of logic, right? Well, that would fly in the face of the purpose and intent. The purpose and intent is to create a regulated marijuana market. If you price the licensing so high that there can be no regulated market, you've violated the purposes and intents. See, everything is predicated by these people on the idea that the, the, the legislature uh, and the backers of Prop 64 are these nefarious, malevolent cartoon villains twirling their mustaches and tying damsels in distress onto railroad tracks. That at the first opportunity, they're going to do the worst possible thing you could think of, and it'll stick. Nobody will fight it. Nobody will put up an injunction against it. No court will find it unconstitutional. It'll just stick. <laughs> that's, that's the way their thinking goes. So when they say all this stuff, it's going to affect medical marijuana. The only things that can affect, again, like I I mentioned, the records confidentiality, the fees, the recommendation requirements, child custody rights, and federal rescheduling. But in addition to that, Prop 64 has specific protections for medical marijuana in it. Section 11362.2, paragraph B, line 2, no city or county may completely prohibit Persons engaging in marijuana cultivation inside a private residence that is fully enclosed and secure. Let me say that again. Section 11362.3F, I'm sorry, .2B, 2, <laughs> 2B2, says no city or county can ban your indoor grow. No city or county complete, can completely prohibit your indoor grow of six plants. Right now, under Prop 215, there are numerous cities and counties throughout the state that have banned all medical marijuana cultivation by patients and caregivers, all, indoor or outdoor. Prop 64 here is actually giving medical patients a right they don't have now. Here's another part, 11, section 11362.3, 11, paragraph F, nothing in this section shall be construed or interpreted to amend, repeal, affect, restrict, or preempt laws pertaining to the Compassionate Use Act of 1996. Now, the important part of that would be the part that says, in this section. Because 11362.3 is the section that has all the bans, all the things you can't do. 11362.3 says you can't token public. You can't toke where tobacco is not allowed. You can't toke near a school. You can't have an open container in a car. You can't toke if you're in school. You can't make solvent hash. You can't toke and drive. You can't toke as a passenger in a car. Those are the things that are in 11.362.3. And paragraph F says nothing, none of those things... Affect the Compassionate Use Act, affect medical marijuana. So when these people are saying, Well, I'm a patient and I have to, you know, if I want to smoke in my own car, I'll be a criminal. Bullshit, because right there it tells you that that ban on smoking in your car does not affect, restrict, amend, repeal, or preempt anything you're allowed to do under the Compassionate Use Act. Now, I can't tell you whether. The medical marijuana law allows you to legally toke and drive. I doubt it does. But if it does, that doesn't change. What else do we have here? Oh, we have uh, Section 11362.45. Nothing in Section 11362.1 shall be construed or interpreted to amend, repeal, effect, restrict, or preempt laws pertaining to the Compassionate Use Act of 1996. So... What is 11362.1? That's the section that limits recreational people to one ounce in public, eight grams of concentrate, and six cannabis plants. So when you medical people are saying, oh my God, it's got a limit of one ounce and six plants, they're going to cut down how much marijuana I can have as a patient, it's bullshit because this section right here says this limit does not apply to medical patients. Now, there's another part. The licensing and tracking. They're all upset there's going to be seed to sale in the commercial markets, both medical and recreational. And Oh, my God. They're going to make you register your plants or have your home inspected or any of that kind of stuff that's listed in the commercial regulations because there are inspections and audits and requirements and all that kind of stuff. Section 26067, paragraph E, line one. This section does not apply to the cultivation of marijuana in accordance with section 11362.1 or the Compassionate Use Act. Section 11362.1 is the part that allows you to have that six plant recreational grow. So, neither your medical grow nor your personal grow have to f- abide by any. Of the stuff in 26067, which is all the seed-to-sale tracking and the ID tags and the inspections and the audits and all that stuff. So if someone's telling you that your personal garden or your medical garden is going to have to be registered and inspected, it's bullshit. Now, another additional right that patients will get from Prop 64 is your parental rights section 11362.84 the status and conduct of a qualified patient who acts in accordance with the compassionate use act shall not by itself be used to restrict or abridge custodial or parental rights to minor children in any action or proceeding under the jurisdiction of family or juvenile court that's a right you don't have now as a medical marijuana patient you're getting divorced. Your ex wants to be vindictive. They go to the child and family services and they say you're a pot smoker. And that can be used against you for visitation, for, for custody, for all sorts of things. That will be impossible after Prop 64 passes. Now, I wish they would extend that to all cannabis consumers. But, hey, half a loaf's better than none. And eventually people are going to go, well, why are we taking recreational smokers kids away? And we'll fix it. Another thing that goes to the medical system, a benefit to the medical marijuana people, is that the existing dispensaries get first shot at licensing for five years. The licensing authority shall give priority to applicants that have operated in compliance with the Compassionate Use Act until December 31st, 2019. So, The existing medical growers, the existing medical processors, existing medical retailers get four years head start to build their empires before we open it up to everyone else. Now they complain about the tax. Medical patients are going to have to pay this 15% excise tax and this $9.25 an ounce flower cultivation tax. It's immoral and wrong, improper to tax people's medicine. On this point, I agree. I concur it is wrong to tax people's medicine. However, part of the reason they did that is because California's medical marijuana law is so lax that if you had taxed recreational and untaxed medical and all it costs is 20, 30 bucks online to get yourself a medical recommendation then everybody's just going to get their medical recommendation and not pay the 15% excise tax. I wish we could have a better system. I'd like it to be some situation where the serious needs of the medical patients are not taxed. But these people who have been lying about their arrest anxiety syndrome so that they can get into the, the dispensaries, you shouldn't be able to cheat the taxes. And besides... When you're there selling eights at thirty-three bucks, selling ounces at two fifty or three hundred bucks, and then charging tax on top of that, state and local taxes, which by the way, Prop sixty-four will take away, you won't have to pay the state local sales taxes anymore. When that when your prices are that high and you want to complain about taxes making them higher, when those of us up here in the Pacific Northwest are getting our weed for $9 a gram, uh Sounds like the wrong problem to worry about. Yes, it's wrong to tax patients' medicine. Yes, I don't like extra. I don't like the cultivation tax at all because it's regressive. The cheaper weed gets, the bigger that tax is in comparison. Don't like it. But is it a deal breaker? Is it something that makes me go, yeah, you're right. We should have another 8,800 felony arrests for cannabis growers in California next year. Not even close. And I had some of these people saying, "Oh my god, they're going to they're going to make you pay a tax on the flowers that you grow at your house." No. Section 34012-J. The tax imposed by this section shall not be imposed. Shall not apply to marijuana cultivated for personal use or in accordance with the compassionate use act. So, your home grow, your home garden is not going to be taxed. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with a succinct evaluation of just exactly how much better life gets when Prop 64 passes when we return.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
2: We don't limit how much you
1: smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher,
2: and iHeartRadio. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you, and they earn rewards points.
0: Prop 64 makes marijuana legal in California for adults 21 and over. And here's what else it does. Bans marijuana use in public. Permits sales only at licensed marijuana businesses, not at grocery or convenience stores. And Prop 64 generates a billion in new tax revenue for California to fund after-school programs and job training and placement initiatives. Learn more at yeson64.org. Vote Yes on 64.
1: Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville show The voice of the
3: marijuana nation Only on CannabisRadio.com right, welcome back everybody Uh, The biggest thing with the no on Prop 64 people Is they really think that they're voting Either Prop 64 or Prop 215 Or they really think that they're still voting for Jack Herrer Initiative or MCLR Really, there was a number of times during the debate where CCHI, the Jack Harrow Initiative, or MCLR, another one of those initiatives, was brought up. And how everyone said how it was so much better and so much greater. Well, I'm like, yeah, sure, it's greater. But the Russ Belville True Legalization Amendment's even better than that. Guess what? None of those made the ballot. And then, of course, we had the discussion of, well, you know, next year and the way things are changing now, and of course it'll be better in 2018, and I called bullshit on that immediately by saying, what makes you think the groups that have been proposing the same damn initiatives for 20 years and never gotten half the signatures they need or any significant funding are somehow going to magically make that happen when they couldn't in a presidential election year after two successive years of legalization but will – In a midterm year after two successive failures at the ballot box. And of course, I was told, well, it'll be different then. Okay. Well, here's exactly what changes under Prop 64. Possessing an ounce of cannabis goes from a $100 ticket to legal. Eight grams of concentrate, one year and $500 fine to legal. Transporting an ounce, $100 misdemeanor to legal. Giving away an ounce. $100 misdemeanor becomes legal. Home-growing one to six cannabis plants goes from a 16-month to two- or three-year felony to legal. Processing and keeping all the weed you grow goes from being that felony to legal. Now, smoking in an unlicensed public site stays a $100 ticket. Smoking where tobacco is banned rises from a $100 ticket to a $250 ticket. That's the only thing that increase is under Prop 64. For people 18 to 20 possessing cannabis, it goes from $100 ticket to $100 ticket. For offenses by minors under age 18, things that were infractions, misdemeanors, wobblers, or felonies become infractions with no jail, just counseling, community service, and drug ed. People 18 to 20 growing Up to six plants goes from being a felony to a $100 ticket. People 18 to 20 possessing up to four grams of concentrate goes from a misdemeanor to a ticket. 18 and over, growing over six plants, you're over the limit in plants, goes from a felony to six-month misdemeanor. Possession of over an ounce goes from a six-month misdemeanor to a six-month misdemeanor. Stays the same. Possessing too much concentrate drops from a one-year misdemeanor to a six-month misdemeanor. Transporting over an ounce goes from a felony to a misdemeanor. Selling goes from a felony to a misdemeanor. Possession with intent goes from a felony to a misdemeanor. Third strike growing goes from a uh, felony to a wobbler. Third strike intent to sell, felony to a wobbler. Third strike illegal sale, felony to a wobbler. Sales involving minors under age 18 stays a three to seven year felony. Learn more. Yes on 64.org. I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
1: This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take
2: a seat, you it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth.